Good morning, good morning. All right, yes, 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 yes. Put a little smile on that, a little dazzle on that thing. Amen. Bless God. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into a place. Amen, amen. Come on. Give God some praises. Thank God. You have no idea how hard it is to put together and work and collectively put together worship. Someday, I'm just going to pull some of y'all. I want y'all to be on the worship team for one week. Everything you got to go through for the worship team, I want you to jump in and make that happen. We're just going, in fact, you know what? How many of you are on the worship team right now? Just raise your hand. You got one, two. Hold them up. Hold them up. You know, I want to change your perspective for a moment. All of us should raise our hand, right? Because... We are all worshipers. At least we all should be, right? We're all in a position of lifting up our voices before the Lord. In fact, we're all the choir. There's only one audience. Who is that audience? God. So how many worship team members do we have here? I'm just, I just want to see if you're getting what I'm saying. Okay, we got a few more hands in there. We, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. If I ask how many intercessors we have, we should all be like, yep, I'm on the intercessory team. Uh, I, I'm, I'm part of the building. I'm part of the welcoming. I'm part of the whatever it is that makes up the body of Christ, we all participate. Amen. All hands on deck at all times. Amen. Beautiful. Well, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Um, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, the students in my school say, Mr. Smith, you got too much energy. And I don't even drink coffee. Mm. Imagine if I did. I would be off the chart. You have to send me to heaven right away. I'm sure at some point in time as I get older, my energy will diminish in body, but I pray that my energy and spirit will never diminish. I'm really glad to see each one of you. You've made a deliberate choice to be here today. And whatever the reasons that motivated you to get up out of your bed, put on your shoes and your socks, your socks and your shoes in that order. Yeah, right? Uh, sometimes we feel like we get it out of order because we get up kind of discombobulated, a little tired. But nonetheless, you came. And I pray that everything that you have a desire to receive out of what God has for you today, you walk away not feeling empty or feeling like, man, I missed it. But I want you to reposition your mind and your heart's attitude to be a receiver, a receptor. Because when we receive something, then we're in a position to give something. Ever tried to give something out of emptiness, out of shallowness or hollowness? It's, it's hard. That's what they call burnout when you, when you have nothing left to give. I'm going to start with the end in mind. In a little while, each one of you all are going to get something. But I want you to just hear this. Somehow, sometimes our lives sound like this, don't they? They feel like this, don't they? And hear our lives shredding, broken, ripped to shreds, 
to pieces. We don't know how to put it back together again. And that maybe that's why some of us are here. Some of us may be in that position because God knows. We keep hearing this sound in our spirit, in our lives. I actually want to talk about all of this in a minute. Luke chapter, no, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, the ongoing story. Gabe, can I bother you? I know you decided to sit in a different place, like uh, in that chair over there are a bunch of those strips. Could you make sure everyone gets one? There's a chair next to, you'll just see, just walk over there, you'll see a chair full of strips. Make sure everyone gets one. This is a story that some of us might have heard before. For some of us, it may be brand new. My prayer is that we get a chance. Yes, just bring it, just bring it up here. Lean it on something that won't fall. Just tip it over here. Yeah, that's fine right there. Thank you very much. Amen. Beautiful. Good. Yep. It's very good and sturdy. Thank you. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Amen. <laughs> this is a story about a, a man that was dead and came to life. Man's name is Lazarus. I just gave away the whole story. You don't hear anything else. You're like, okay, I know the story was about a man named Lazarus who died and came back to life. But this story is full of chunks and nuggets, and I'm not going to be able to download all of it to you, but I would invite you that on your own accord and on your own time to read John chapter 11. From verse 1 all the way to the end, all right? So that's your homework assignment. But today we're going to start with the first few verses and take it from there. John chapter 11. If you have it, say amen. All right, we have a few. All right, we've been waiting for a few more. All right, let's try it again. If you have it, say amen. amen. All right, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Would you be so kind? I kind of like this. It's calisthenics, but would you just stand with me just for a moment? We're going to read the first few voice, verses, and I'm going to have you seated. And it says this. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was at Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus said that 
Jesus heard that and said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be Son of God may be glorified through it. You may be seated. There was a certain man that was sick. How many of you have ever met a sick person? How many of you have been that sick person? Right? The, the things in your body are not acting right as they ought to, as we used to anticipate them being. And sickness has a way of disrupting your life, but not only your life, but the lives of other people around you. And there was a family, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, brothers and sisters, and they were really close. And they came and they brought a report to Jesus. And they said, Behold, he whom you love is sick. It's one thing about knowing a person is sick, but a whole other thing of Loving the person that's sick, right? Having a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or sister or a brother, someone, a dear, dear friend that you've known for a long time, sick. It pulls on your heartstrings in a different way, doesn't it? So they didn't just say, oh, behold, Jesus, there's somebody sick. It says the one that you love is sick. I want to pause for a moment. It's just kind of like we did last week. The word behold. The idea of stopping and taking notice. The ability to see, not just with your eyes, but to intently pay attention with your heart, your mind, your very whole being, behold, stop whatever you're paying attention to, look this way, and look intently, and tell me what you see. And what they said they saw was they saw a man who was very sick. But what Jesus saw was something different. And here's what he said. When Jesus heard that, he said that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man, Son of God, may be glorified through it. Let me give away a part of the story. The man was sick and he died, right? Jesus hears this report and he sees this situation from a distance. You don't necessarily have to be physically present to see and understand the situation. Because when you're connected to God, God can begin to unveil to you like what the real issues are. So Jesus said this, this man is not sick unto death, but his sickness is designed so that the glory of God can be revealed. This should be maybe a review for some of you from last week, but I got to say it again. 
most of the time when we see a problem, that becomes the centerpiece of our focus. We call that, if you are blind, we focus on our own blindness. That's the centerpiece. Everything else revolves around it. If we are looking for a job and we can't find employment, that becomes the centerpiece, the focus of our concern. If we're struggling with a spouse or a loved one, that becomes a dominant focus. The pain becomes what we focus on. But Jesus says, I want to rearrange your focus. I want to rewrite your focus. The pain is the frame of the situation, not the focus of the situation. The glory of God, or God showing up, should be the focus and not the pain and the problem. So let me say it again. Our pain is the frame. Somebody say it. Our pain pain is the frame. God's glory glory is the focus. focus. Oh, let me say that. That sounds good, man. I got to say that again, right? Our pain pain is the frame. frame. God's glory glory is the focus. focus. Jesus was saying, look, I know you're focusing. And you've seen yourself? Is this going to be a distraction for you? Okay, all right, great. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Most of the time, we look at the situation. And see what Mary and Martha saw. There is a problem, there's a situation, and it needs Jesus' attention, but we're telling him what the focus is. The focus is that he's very sick to the point of death. Jesus says, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. The sickness is designed so that people can see God show up. So people can glorify God. So people who normally would not be exalting God because they don't show up at New Life Austin Oak Park on a Sunday morning or show up at a church to sing, I exalt thee. That people who walk down the street who normally aren't giving God attention and focus, all of a sudden when they see this situation where God shows up, they begin to give God his praises and his honor. That's what God's up to. Mm, I wish we can see it. And so Jesus, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so he went. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go up to Judea again. Hmm. Very interesting response to the news. Somebody told me that my dad was sick to the point of death. You know what I would do? I book the soonest plane. My dad lives in Virginia, by the way, so it takes a minute to get out there. But I would pay whatever it took to get on a plane, get there as fast as I could, but I would not delay, right? But here we see Jesus creating or responding in a different way. It says he deliberately waited where he was for Two extra days. And he wasn't deliberately waiting because he didn't care. He loved the man. 
The Bible emphasizes this a couple times, right? He wasn't waiting because he was busy doing something else. Because that's, you know, we can get busy with life and it keeps us delayed. But he was waiting, and I believe he was instructed to wait. It doesn't say this here, but I'm going to make some assumptions. Because what I know is that Jesus was a man of prayer. And he was always in communication with his father. And he deliberately said, I only do what the father tells me to do. It's not my will and my way, my walk and my speech. It is what he says that I should do. I believe he went to God and says, God, can I go now? I got a very good friend of mine that I love that spends time. Every time I show up at Bethany, he and his household, they take all of us, me and my boys, and we, they feed us a great meal. They take care of us. They put us up. They love us. They care. You know, they, they just go all out for us. And I just want to be there for them right now because they're in a lot of pain. They're really struggling. God, can I go? Let me tell you something about being a disciple of Christ. Just in case you're not familiar with the word disciple means, I'm going to tell you something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, before we do stuff, even when it seems like it's important or we should be doing it, the first thing we should do is ask God about it. God, what should I do? How should I do it? When should I do it? Where should I do it? Nobody would have faulted Jesus for going immediately to the aid of his friend. Everybody else was like, yep, yeah. Jesus did the right thing. He showed up right when we asked him to. But you know what? There is one that would have been very disappointed if Jesus showed up right away. And that would have been God the Father himself. God says, if you went and I didn't send you, and you do things on your own accord, and you call yourself a servant of mine, that's, that's not being a disciple. That's not being a follower. There are things that God will ask us to do that are very hard, that run against the very grain of our own desires. I'm confident, Wendy, Lauren, Gabe, that there are wills of God that he has directly for you that you may never know, Tom, unless you ask him. What do you want me to do right now? But that presupposes something, James, is that we are willing to be obedient. What's your obedience monitor right now? How obedient are you willing to be to God? Hmm. So Jesus hangs out for two extra days. He doesn't go. But then when he does decide to go, there's this conversation. I'm going to paraphrase it for a moment. He says, all right, let's go up now to Judea. I've got the green light. We can go. And all of his disciples said, wait a minute. Hold on. 
maybe you didn't get the latest tweet. If you show up to Bethany, which is two miles away from Jerusalem, you're going to run into some significant problems. Don't you know that by now, all the people in charge, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, they want to kill you. They want to stone you. They hate you. Their spirits are filled with venom against you. Jesus responds by saying, verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11, these things he said, and after he said to them, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I go that I may wake him up. Verse 12, and the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about him resting in sleep. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go up to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Hmm. Sometimes Jesus speaks and we don't quite understand what he's saying. He's got to break it down and make it plain. He was using terms like sleep, but what he was saying is that he's dead. And the people, his disciples, like, oh, good, man. If he's just asleep, he's getting rest, he's healing up, he's getting better, he's going to be fine. So why do we need to go up there again? Because if we go up there with you, they're not only going to hurt you, they're going to hurt us. Come on, let's create a little comfort buffer for ourselves. Have you ever tried to create a comfort buffer for yourself? Some space where you know that God is inviting you to go into, that you know may jeopardize your own desires, your own wills, your own wishes. You're like, well, if I'm hearing this correctly, I don't really have to go. I can just enjoy this comforter and this pillow and the cushiness of life a little while longer. He says, let me make it plain to you. He's dead, and we're going to go up. Because that's what God says we need to do. And I'm really glad, for your sake, that he's dead. And I don't think Jesus said that carelessly. I think he was saying it with faith. He wasn't glad that Lazarus was dead, but he was glad that God was getting ready to show up in the picture so people can see who he really is. He said, for your sake, I'm glad he's dead. We're going to go up. Thomas is like, all right, you know what? We might as well go up and get ready to die with him. Would that be your statement? If you and I are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we have to be willing to die. If we're going to follow him, we have to have a willingness to what? A willingness to what? That's kind of morbid, isn't it? Because we love to live. We want to be alive. 
I'm going to keep it moving. When Jesus came, in verse 17, when he had found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, verse 19. And many of the Jews who had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is an interesting conversation. By the way, God can handle our conversations, right? He can handle our pushbacks and our, our redirection. Or like, God, you don't see it like I see it. You, you're kind of getting it wrong. He doesn't mind if we're authentic about our struggle. Sometimes we are so, so churchified that we can't, we feel like, man, if I tell God that I'm angry, like, or, or, or that I'm really upset about something he's asking me to do, God's going to strike me down. He knows it already. It's not like it's a secret. <laughs> he knows our stubbornness and our pride and our willfulness. He knows this. So let me, just, let me just say something to you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, in our prayer, let's be honest with him. Let's take out, off our Christian veneer, some of us hold up a Christian veneer so well, so long, we don't even know what it's like to take it down, even when we're talking to God in secret, right? Even when we're confessing sin, we don't even name the sin. Like, God, you know, forgive me for, you know, the stuff I've done against you, and, right? I mean, can I be honest? That's how we get down. God's like, just name it. You've been, you, you've, been, you've been lusting after that person. You've been, you've been, uh, you, you've been uh, cheating on the side. You've been tipping. You've been, you've been stealing. Just name the stuff. Wow. God's like, really? I thought we were connected. It's no, re no wonder why we can't tell one another our stuff because we're not even safe with God telling him our stuff. Oh, that's not even on the all right, let me get, let me redirect the train. Let me get back on track. Hmm. So Martha's having this conversation. Like, now, Jesus, I've been watching you for a long time. Going on three years now, and I've seen how you wrote. I know all you had to do was say the word, and my, my brother would have never died. She had that much faith. That's how far her faith was able to take her. And God said, I got to stretch you a little further so you can see a little more of God's glory. 
She said, well, I know because of what you've taught me is that there is a resurrection that's coming. But Jesus says, the resurrection is not coming. The resurrection is already here. I'm like present. I'm alive in the flesh, manifested. I'm not someone you can anticipate. Resurrection is not something. It is someone. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he turns and asks the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she makes this confession. And she said to him in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. God is now rewriting. He's rewriting a couple stories at the exact same time. He's rewriting Martha's perspective on who he is. He's going to rewrite Mary's perspective on who he is. He's going to rewrite everybody else's perspective on who he is. He's going to rewrite the disciples' perspective on who he is. You see, when Jesus tells a story, he balls it up and rewrites our lives. He's not just doing it for our sake. He's doing it for the sake of other people as well. People need to know what God looks like when he shows up in your life and in your situation. Conversation continues to go on. Martha's had this conversation. She gets redirected. She goes back and she talks to Mary. She says, Mary, Jesus is asking for you to come out and hang out with him because he showed up. He's on the scene. I think he's getting ready to do something really special, but you got to come out and see. So Mary had been at home sitting. Mary is a worshiper. Every time you see Mary show up on the scene, she finds a way to get on her knees, get on her face before God, no matter what the situation, and humble herself. The story goes, she shows up to Jesus, and she gets on her face. She asks the same question. Verse 32, I'm leaping ahead a little bit. Verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had bidden him, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And when they said to him, Lord, come and see, Jesus wept. And then the, the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus again groaned on himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. It was a stone laid against it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha said of him who was dead and said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he has been dead four days. Let me tell you about this Jesus that we serve. Jesus does not mind getting into close proximity to brokenness. Can I say that one more time? Because I need you to really catch this. The Jesus that we serve does not mind getting into close proximity to brokenness. If you're honest with me, and I'm going to be honest with you, we are more broken than we like to admit. 
And certainly before we came to Jesus, we were very broken. And there are many, many people around us that are very broken. I believe there are certain communities that are known for their brokenness. Every time you hear about Austin, you can think brokenness. You can think of Garfield, brokenness. You can think of Inglewood. You can think of brokenness. Some communities just ooze brokenness. And what I know about my Jesus is I am near the brokenhearted. And if you want to know where Jesus is going to show up, just find people that are broken. And he's going to be in close proximity to them and their situation. The thing about it is that people who are broken don't often see Jesus being close by. It takes people who have a connection with God to say, by the way, Jesus is here. I know Jesus is here because he sent me to be here with you. If we're going to follow Jesus and be following Jesus, we got to do like he did. Oh, you got to distract with me here for a second. Because what we like to do, even when we are broken, we like to create an isolation cocoon, right? We like to put ourselves in a position where we're like, I don't want to be next to a broken person. I'm already kind of broken. Because when you get close to broken people, it does two things. It reveals your own brokenness. Hello. And it creates more brokenness. And Jesus saw the situation. He saw Mary and he saw her weeping. He saw the group and he saw them weeping. And Jesus began to respond in his spirit. And he wept with those who were weeping. But what he knows is that shortly he's going to rejoice with those who rejoice. But there is a process, and you can't get to the rejoicing unless you've gotten to the weeping. You can't get to the healing unless you've gone through the brokenness. You can't go through the ups until you've gone through the downs. All of this is a process. One thing must happen before the next. And Jesus was willing to enter in with them. That's a hallelujah moment. I'm so glad that Jesus is willing to get close to me when I'm very, very broken. And he doesn't condemn me. He doesn't point the finger at me. He doesn't say, oh, you are a really bad kid. You really messed up. You are no good. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I know you're broken. I feel your pain. I'm in this pain with you. Mm, Jesus. Woo. Help us, Lord. He goes, and he doesn't just stop at the moment where they are crying. He says, where is Lazarus? Where did you lay him? I got to get closer. I got to put myself in closer proximity to the situation. Take me to him. And they take Jesus all the way to the, to the graveyard, to the, to, the, to the place where death and stench met. 
He got so close to proximity with Lazarus in this situation that he could smell all the stinchiness and the mess and the dung and all of the junk that comes with being broken. Hmm. What about us? How close are we willing to get to the brokenness? Because when we do, we may smell something very putrefying. Stuff that may turn your stomach. You're going to hear and see and feel things that you wish you never felt when you decide to get close to brokenness. If we're going to follow Jesus, we don't really have that option if we're following Jesus. He's going to invite us into places. And I, I sense that he's doing that even now with this church. He's pulling us into some places that we're going to be like, oh, my God, I'm not so sure that I want to be there. But he says, come follow me. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. I want you to see the glory. I don't want you to see the problem. I don't want you to see all the brokenness. I don't want you to see the frame. I don't want you to see the pain. I want you to see what I'm getting ready to do in the middle of this. But you can't do it from a distance. You've got to get close. So, uh, verse 40. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to land the plane. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you are always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus began to pray out loud. I'm telling you, Jesus was a master prayer. He loved to pray. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the middle of the day. He prayed in the middle of the evening. He just prayed, prayed, prayed. He oozed a conversation with God. He just talked to him all the time and he let God talk back to him. Followers of Jesus Christ, what's your prayer life like? When Jesus was praying, he says, Jesus, God, I'm not just praying for me and your sake. You've already told me how this picture is going to, to go. You, you already told me the end. But I'm praying this out loud so others around may witness what's getting ready to happen. I'm setting the atmosphere. I'm setting the tone. I'm setting the expectation. I'm building their faith. I'm, I'm helping people who may be struggling right now, and all they see is the frame. I'm trying to redirect their sight. I'm trying to help them behold something new. She says, all right, God, here we go. Here we go, God. You ready? God says, I'm ready. God says, Jesus, you ready? Jesus said, I'm ready. The next thing happens, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Can you all help me say that for a second? But when you say it, I want you just to feel it with all of your faith. I want you to think about all the people that you've written down. 
I want you to think about that friend, family, and neighbor who you know is dead in their sins and trespasses and have not walked with God, don't know him, could give a care about who God is. I want you right now in the spiritual realm to declare what Jesus said. So repeat after me, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, man, that's so weak. Can I just be real with you? I'm one person. I'm going to turn my mind. I'm recording. Thank you. you. You can shout for your children. And they don't show up. Well, that's frustrating, isn't it? Right? Parents, you cry. Children, you cry for a parent, and they don't come. Right? But when Jesus shouted, Lazarus came forth. When he had died, it came out. But he came out in an unusual situation. His hands were bound, and his feet and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, 
loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Jesus said, I did my part. I did the hard part. <laughs> I took a dead man and brought him back to life. <laughs> Let me see you do that, right? He said, but I want you to participate. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you're part of he always invites us to be a part of the rewrite story. We're not just spectators, but we're participators. Tell somebody you're a participator. Just, just tell them, just tell them you're a participator. And he says, you, there, there's this man who is, he, he's got grave clothes wrapped all around him. His hands all bound up like a mummy. His feet, I don't even know how he got out. He must have done like this. I don't even know how he got out the grave like that, right? But, but everybody saw his situation. Let me tell you how the, these grave clothes work, right? The effort of the grave clothes was designed to kind of keep uh, the decay of death or to slow it down, right? Well, we use, what do we use now uh, when they, uh, embalming fluid, right? But, but they didn't have the capacity to go in and do all of that. So they said, let's just put it on the outside. So they took all these little strips and they wrapped them up so, so they, could, they could tuck in myrrh and they can tuck in frankincense and they can tuck in all kinds of different spices that kind of help mitigate the smell of death. Right? They knew it wasn't going to last forever, but just for a little while, that's what they were intending to do. But they said, man, even with all of our effort, he's been dead four days. It's a hot tomb. It's not air conditioned. It's not one of those little, uh, what do you call those little ice boxes? Where do you put the people in? Little slabs. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Morgue, yeah. It's not a morgue. It's not one of those situations, right? It's, been, it's, a, it's outside in a tomb. Where maggots and everything else have access. And Jesus says, Now, you, you unloosen him. You get close to the situation. I want you to see the glory of God show up. And then you unloosen him. And you let him go. And I can imagine what was happening in the process. Someone you know, someone you love, you knew was dead. There was no question about it. And they pop back to life, and you get close to them, and you're unwrapping them, and you're beholding the glory of God right in front of your face. It's a process. They didn't unwrap them all at one time. They had to go one thing at a time. Turn around. Spin around. Let me pull some more. Let me unloosen your hands. I'm unloosing your ankles. And I'm unloosing your knees. I'm unloosing your, your waist. And I'm unloosing your hands and your elbows and your shoulders, your face, your neck. I'm going to unloosen all of that. You know what I think of when I see this process? I think of the process of discipleship. I see a process of saying, I know this person is alive. I know this person is saved. But they're still bound in a lot of old ways. And God is inviting me to be a part of the process to help unloosen this individual so they can be free. You want to know why there are so many people walking around in grave clothes and yet they know Jesus? 
is because when Jesus issued out the command, is you loosen them and you set them free, we're like, oh, man, they're alive. That's great. Boom, you walk away. So here's a challenge, and I'm done. You have your, you have your strip. Hold it in your hand. Hold it in your hand. Hmm, Jesus. And there are two parts to this. And if I can get some music over there, because I want everybody to hear this. I want everybody to respond. First question. If you are saved and you know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that means you've experienced new life. You know. You know that you were once dead, but you're now alive. Right? You know this. Does everybody have one? Let me just ask this. If you don't have one, let's make sure everybody gets one. Okay. So here's the thing. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Make sure everybody, if you don't have one, who does not have one? There you go. Thank you. Okay. There, there are two questions I want to ask you. The first question, and this is specifically for those who know Jesus. Are you, in some area of your life, still bound? It may not be your feet, but it may be your ankles. This is metaphorically speaking. You know you're saved. You know you're alive. You know you're no longer in the grave. But you're still bound. You're still not completely free. I don't know what those areas are, but you do. The Holy Spirit knows, and I'm believing he's reminding you. He's pointing these things out to you right now. But you are here to saying, I desire to be completely free from every area of bondage. I no longer want to walk around in grave clothes. If that's you, and you know exactly what that is, and that's your proclamation, God, I want to be free. And this strip represents whatever it is that's binding you. Just take this with that prayer and just toss it as simply as you can at the feet of the cross. Say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. I want to be free from these areas of bondage in my life. I'm just going to give you a moment right now because there's a second conversation. We can't have a second conversation until we finish this first one. But respond even as the Spirit of God is leading you to. God, I want to be free. I know I'm saved, but I still got things that are holding me captive. I'm still walking around in grave clothes. It's between you and the Lord. He wants to show himself mighty and powerful. 
Once you've tossed it, I'm just going to ask that you just simply just stand. Just stay, stay standing. Go toss it, then come back, but stand. Just between you and the Lord. Amen. 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 Bless your brother. Bless your brother. Bless you. going to give a few more moments and I'm going to move, move forward. It's your honest confession between you and the Lord. Saying this is where I am. This is not where I want to stay. Second question is this. Here's the second question. I believe that God is inviting his followers to be a part of loosening and setting people free. Even while God is loosening and setting us free, he's inviting us to do that for other people. It's called discipleship. It's called walking people through God's way of living. I believe that God has people that he wants to save and see baptized and get serious about his word, become committed to his body, to get connected in fellowship, to see them engaged and the work of ministry so that they begin discipling others also. But that cannot happen unless God's people say, I am willing to make disciples. If you're here today and you say, I am going to respond, I'm going to respond, I want to be a part of loosening and helping people to be free. So I'm going to ask you to simply come and take one of these trips. But this trip here is a reminder to you of your commitment to say before God, if you put somebody in my life,
that needs salvation, I'll boldly declare the plan of salvation. You put somebody in my life that needs to be baptized, I'll be willing to walk them through the process of baptism. You put somebody in my life that needs to know how to personally grow in their walk with God, I will personally help them be a part of the growth process. If you, God put somebody in your life that is not engaged in some area of ministry, You'll say, I will be used of God to help them engage in some area of ministry. If God puts somebody in your life that says this person is ready to make a disciple of another person, you say, I will be willing to be used to help make disciples that make disciples. Now that's you. I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to make disciples. That's you. It's going to invite you to come and take a strip for yourself. So that's what I'm willing to do.